Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Jamie. Hi. Caitlin, hi. Sorry, it's not Caitlin, it's Morpheus. Oh, shit. I just want to tell you that you're the one. Me? Yeah, you. But I'm so sexy and regular. <laughs> Well, that's just it. You're too sexy to be regular. Oh, my God. Therefore, you are the one. That is how movies work, isn't it? <laughs> wow. Well, um, okay. I, I accept I accept this call to adventure, except uh, that you're going to have to get kidnapped for reasons that are a little confusing to me. And the stakes are going to continue to rise from there. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, wait. I have one more condition. Yes, yes. I need to get a little kiss at the end. Oh, okay. Well, uh, hey, Jamie, it's it's uh, Trinity now. Hi. Oh, okay. Hi. And I just wanted to tell you that the Oracle mm-hmm. told me that I would fall in love with somebody and that somebody would be the one. That's me. And, it's, and I'm in love with you, further confirming that you're the one. So can I have a little kiss? Yeah, here you go. Wow, thank you. Well, that was a very smooth intro, I think. <laughs> My intro is going to be yes. very somber. Oh. Because I feel, well, let's introduce the show and then I have to make an apology and then I think we can get the episode started. Sure, sure, sure. I have a serious apology to make. <laughs> so, hi, it's me, Caitlin Durante. It's me, Jamie Loftus. Little tail between my legs and this is the Bechtel cast. <laughs> it is our show where we examine film through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechtel test simply as a jumping off point, which mm-hmm. of course is a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many variations on the test. This is the one that we are currently using, where two people of any marginalized gender must have names, they must speak to each other, and that conversation has to be about something other than a man. Ideally, it's a meaningful conversation that is like narratively relevant. Yes. Okay. Uh, do you mind if I just 
please. You've got the floor. I have a prepared statement really quickly. (laughs) Hello, listeners. This is Jamie Loftus. You might remember that almost exactly five years ago to the day, we released an episode about the movie The Matrix on this very podcast. The guest was comedian Matt Donaher, a lovely man who we still have a friendship with. Yes. However, if you try to listen to this episode today, you will not be able to find it. And that is because as of December 29th, 2016, I didn't actually watch The Matrix before we recorded the episode. I was very busy that week. (laughs) It was the holidays. And I was drunk at the recording. (laughs) Off of Mike's Hard Lemonade? Off of Mike's Hard Lemonade, as was my custom at the time. Yes. I would learn years later, that's actually not adorable to do. Um, (laughs) So I just wanted to uh, apologize. I've been receiving criticism for never having watched The Matrix when I was 23 for years now. It's been, it's something that's, uh, you know, a common criticism has been brought up to me at shows. Uh, it's been tweeted at me repeatedly. It's on our Wikipedia page that I've never seen The Matrix. Wow. Um, and it took five years, but uh, we're course correcting. I'm a new person. I've been uh, living, laughing, loving, and learning. <laughs> and I really liked The Matrix, and I'm excited for today's episode. So sorry one last time for not watching The Matrix five years ago. And if I could editorialize for just a second, sure. I think it's very weird how mad everyone was at me. We didn't make any money off the podcast then. There was people people anyway. were mad, some of them, but there are I would say just as many people who think it's awesome that you didn't see it and still but released I an episode about didn't it. Didn't prepare for <laughs> Well, it would be you could be mad now because now it's our job. But back then it was our hobby and um Yeah. I was I don't who knows. Doesn't matter. We are doing the episode now and we have a wonderful <laughs> guest. So let's get her in here. Indeed. She is the critic at large for Vox. She's the co-creator of the podcast Arden. It's Emily Vanderwerf. Hello. Hello. It's, it's so good to be here. And if you're wondering who the skywriter was above your house that said, please watch The Matrix, Jamie, that was me. <laughs> I learned how to fly a plane just for that. You flew the plane and everything? Yes, I did. It's the wow. personal touch. It really it really is. And that hurt me extra deeply as a result. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're also leaving out that you learned to fly the plane by just like having a training software uploaded immediately into your brain. Mm-hmm. A floppy disk. Mm-hmm. They plugged it into my brain and I was like, now I can fly a 1920s biplane. Cool. <laughs> Oh, oh, I'm so excited for this episode, and I'm, and we're so stoked that you're here to talk uh, about the movie with us, Emily. Um, so this is this is our the so I guess whenever we cover a franchise, we're covering the first movie. This episode will be released lining up with the new Matrix movie, which I just I guess right at the top. I'm curious if if y'all think it looks any good. I can't tell. I can't tell. I think so. I think it's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've just had my ass handed yeah. to me. <laughs> no, I I am a but I'm a Wachowski uh home homer, you know. I think they're mm-hmm. great. Uh you know, they've made a couple of movies I don't love. Like I think the third Matrix is their weakest film, but I still watch it all the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's uh I'm excited for it. I'm excited that it's very colorful 
from the trailers. I'm excited for Keanu Reeves to have a little rubber ducky on his head. That I, seems fun. Oh my yeah. gosh. I, well, I, cause I, I watched the trailer dozens and dozens of times, mostly because I was like, well, first I think it's very fun and it's great. And I think it makes the movie look great. I'm excited to see it. But also I was trying to figure out a Halloween costume for this year. And I was like, hmm, my hair length is about the same hair length as Keanu's in the trailer. Maybe I'll dress up as Keanu, like from the new Matrix movie, but he doesn't have like necessarily a consistent look in the trailer. And also he like doesn't necessarily look like Neo famously looks with all of his like... He kind of has his like John Wick hair a little bit. Yeah, right. And then he's just wearing like scarves and like just regular clothes and like not his at least in the trailer again like you don't see him with his like black trench coat and sunglasses and all that stuff so I just like kind of picked a random look and replicated that there's like you see him for like 17 frames or something like that and I was just like well this is this is my costume this year (laughs) so uh, I will share that on our Instagram but um it was a solid costume it was good thank you so much yeah So, Emily, tell us, what is your relationship, your history with the Matrix slash the whole franchise? Yeah, um, I saw this movie in theaters when it came out, but like very late, like after the Mm. buzz had kind of died down because it was it was huge for a while. And I remember I was like very irritated by the marketing because I was someone who cared about that at that time. It was like, what is the matrix was like all the marketing was. Um, and so I saw it several weeks after it opened with my then girlfriend. And I remember it just, it spoke to me in a way I didn't entirely comprehend, but I just, I loved it. And then I watched it, you know, probably dozens of times when it was on DVD and I saw it again a few years ago in the theater. Um, I think it's, it's one of the most perfect movies ever made. Like there's not really anything in it that doesn't work. I agree. I kind of prefer the second one because I am a weird woman who likes imperfect babies and just like holding them up and being like, your head's a little dented, but I still love you. Um, I think, I think the, the third one, I've seen this argument that the third one and the second one should be considered one big movie. And in that case, the third one is better, but it is an isolated thing. I do think it's the Wachowski's weakest movie, but like, it's not bad. I enjoy watching it. But the mm-hmm. second one I think is my dented little baby. <laughs> I really enjoyed the second one as well. I would say I mildly enjoyed it. I I far prefer the first one. I agree that it's a perfect movie and I don't know what it says about me that I like perfect things. <laughs> no, like liking perfect things is fine, you know. It's just, you know, it's uh it's uh you look at that dented little baby and you're like, "No, get rid of that one. Throw that one away." <laughs> I I am not like that. So <laughs> So, yeah, that's actually a huge flaw of yours, Caitlin. Let the baby have a dent. Oh, goodness. Um, Jamie, what is your... Well, you you did read your prepared statement. I just I just gave a really long-winded... I should have saved it for here. Uh, I have never <laughs> seen it. I lied about it five years ago. Uh, and then I have now seen it twice. And I loved it. I really, like... I wish I hadn't I'm been so glad performatively not watching it as a bit. Because it is such a good movie uh and i've really enjoyed um i don't know i feel like with some certain movies you're like i don't really want to engage with 
the fan culture around certain movies, but I've really enjoyed uh, reading more about The Matrix and learning more about it. And I liked the sequel and I'm interested in what the new one is like. And I skipped the third one because I didn't have the stamina. But I, yeah, the first Matrix movie, I can say with a whole heart, I loved it. <gasps> yeah. Yay. Caitlin, what about you? I am a long, long, long time Matrix fan. I saw the movie at a drive-in movie theater when it came out. I was like 13. I 100% didn't understand it at all the first time I saw it. But I think on subsequent viewings, I did understand. Uh, I don't know if it was because like I'm 13 and I don't under like I don't like this is confusing or if it's just because I was like distracted and with my friends. Anyway. Uh, I think I had it figured out by the second watch and I've seen it like probably 50 times since then. I watched this movie multiple times a year. Mm. I love it. I think it's perfect. And it, it holds up so surprisingly well for a movie from 99 because we've covered a lot of movies from 1999 on this podcast. And yeah. I would say almost none of them hold up, but The Matrix <laughs> does. Very much so. does. Yes. Unrelated. I mean, just one of the like hottest casts ever assembled. Also, mm. just a gorgeous. Just, just everyone is so incredibly beautiful in this movie. Uh, that's my uh, contribution to the discourse today. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I was going to make a joke about Joe Pantoliano, but like, he's never been hotter. He's really hot. He in this really movie. has it. Joey Pants is hot. His goatee, even fine. I'll yeah. take it. <laughs> I like, you know, the thing is, with Joey Pants' goatee, I like when someone makes a strong choice. And that's what what Joey Pants is doing with the goatee. Love that for him. (laughs) All right. Should I recap the story? And we'll go from there. Let's do it. And Emily, jump in whenever during the recap. We're fast and loose here. It's an open forum. For sure. Yes. Great. Okay. So we open on some images of some kind of computer code. Uh, then we meet Trinity, who's played by Carrie Ann Moss. Some cops have her surrounded. Hugo Weaving in a suit, aka Agent Smith, is also after her. There's a fight. They chase her. Uh, she seems to be able to defy gravity during a lot of this fighting and running away. She also takes control of the cinematography for like just a couple seconds. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is oh, the opening scene is so good. It's just yeah, mm-hmm. immediately the style and yeah, it's amazing. I love it. <sighs> um, and then she escapes finally by answering a payphone and seemingly disappearing. And we as the audience seeing this for the first time in, you know, 1999 or 2021, Monday, whatever, (laughs) earlier this week, we're like, what is is going on? Oh, my gosh. Then Agent Smith mentions an informant. He's talking to his other agent friends. There are these like white guys in suits. He mentions an informant and also the next target, someone named Neo. Then we cut to Keanu Reeves who in this world goes by Thomas Anderson. Someone has hacked into his computer and is sending him messages. There's mention of The Matrix. I love hearing Keanu Reeves just read something off of a screen. It's very compelling to me. It's very calming. I like it. Yeah. It's nice. His performance in this movie is incredible. I love him so much. Keanu is a national treasure. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so the person on his computer tells Keanu to follow the white rabbit, which ends up being a friend's tattoo, which leads him to a club where he meets Trinity face to face. She's like, I know that you're trying to figure out what the Matrix is. By the way, you're in danger and you're being watched. Mm-hmm. And then the next day at work, Keanu gets a cell phone delivered to him and then immediately receives a call from Morpheus who gives him instructions on how to escape Agent Smith and the other agents who are after him. But Keanu is unsuccessful, and he gets captured by the agents who want his help in finding Morpheus, who they see as a terrorist. I liked I liked that um, I felt like this movie could have come out almost whenever, but they're, they're a uniquely 1999 thing about this movie, I felt like was like the office job sequence. I was like, oh, this is such a late <laughs> 90s, like Gen X, I hate my job. The man is <laughs> killing me. Like It feels like it was made, just Mike Judge just had some office space outtakes <laughs> yeah, just laying truly. around. And it was like, here you go. Yeah. They just like color corrected it green and they're like, and now it's, these are scenes from the Matrix. This is um, this is the scene with, with the bug in it, right? The little bug that goes mm, in his, yes. his belly button. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw this movie in 99, I saw it with my, my then girlfriend who had enormous Reese Witherspoon energy. Um, and uh, <laughs> Uh, she was so disgusted by this. She was just horrified by it and like hiding her face. And I was watching it like, yeah, this is just how life is, right? Somebody just traps you and puts a bug in you and then you have to just walk around with it inside of you. And uh, yeah, that, that was when I was like, this is one of my favorite movies ever because it's the only one that understands what it's like to have a little bug crawling around inside you. <laughs> to this day, I cannot watch the bug either going into his belly button or coming back out of it. I don't know. I have like a weird a belly button thing thing where i just oh, it's, it's yeah it's so gross and i, I can't th- i loved watch watching it. it i thought it was oh. so interesting <laughs> i thought it was interesting to watch i'm stuck on the phrase enormous reese witherspoon energy that is like <laughs> you said it as immediately i was like i know exactly what that means <laughs> yes yes i uh, i dated the girls i wanted to be at that time so <laughs> <laughs> Um, But yes, this is the scene where uh, Neo refuses to help the agents, so they bug him and then release him. Mm -hmm. And then Neo gets another call from Morpheus, and Morpheus is like, you're the one. And he's like, what does that mean? And then Trinity and a couple other people, Switch and Apoc, pick Neo up. They debug him in the other scene I can't watch. Um, And then they take him to meet Morpheus, who we see in the flesh for the first time. He's played by Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, Morpheus gives Neo the opportunity to choose between taking a blue pill and a red pill. Now, the blue pill will let Neo to continue on with his life as he's been living it and forget all about Morpheus and the Matrix, but the red pill will give him access to the truth. Right. And nobody ever thought about that idea again. Like that never that came up. No again. one has People ever. Are like, that's a fun scene. Yeah. Yeah. No one has used that. Now that's fun imagery. For nefarious reasons, even a little bit. No. <sighs> okay. So Neo takes the red pill and then Morpheus shows him what the Matrix is. Basically, the Matrix is a computer simulation that most humans are plugged into so that they don't know what's actually happening, which is that it's 200 years in the future and the artificially intelligent machines grow humans like crops and use them as batteries to power 
their like post-apocalyptic machine world. Mm. So all the humans are plugged into this simulation, which basically simulates reality or some version of reality. And that's what the Matrix is. So Morpheus and his crew unplug Neo from the Matrix. Uh, so we see him in this like pod thing that's full of Ooh. goo. I love when he's in the goo. I'm a simple person. I like when he's in the goo. Yeah. This is another scene where I was like, well, this is just what life is like. Somebody unplugs you and you <laughs> yeah. wake up in a pile of goo. Like, it just, yeah. <laughs> that didn't even like yeah. registered for me how matter of factly that is presented where it's like, well, now he's in goo and then cut to the next scene. He's out of the goo now. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. And th- yeah, so they take him out of the goo and they bring him aboard Morpheus's ship, the Nebuchadnezzar. We meet the rest of the crew, uh, which is Cypher. That's Joey Pants, Joe Pantoliano, mm. Mouse. Tank and Dozer, who have all either been unplugged from the Matrix or, in the case of Tank and Dozer, they were born in a human society called Zion and were never plugged in to begin with. So Neo learns all this stuff and has difficulty accepting the whole situation at first, but then he comes to accept it and starts learning more about the Matrix, how to manipulate the laws of physics inside of it, how to do kung fu... He learns how to jump really far, (laughs) things like that. And then Morpheus also explains that the agents like Agent Smith, a.k.a. Hugo Weaving, are these sentient programs that can kind of move throughout the Matrix. And they're basically designed to, like, keep order. And they are the main antagonistic force against the people like Morpheus and his crew while they're inside the Matrix. Right. Morpheus also tells Neo about a prophecy that the Oracle made about the One. Basically, someone would be able to destroy the Matrix and the war against the machines and bring freedom to the humans. And as it's already been suggested, Morpheus believes Neo to be the One. Yeah. That's a really short walk. You just have to move O in front of N and E. Like, you don't have to do that much work. I feel like it it shouldn't have taken them that long. Right. It's true. It's written in the stars. (laughs) I do appreciate that Neo is an anagram for one not unlike my name, Caitlin Durante, is an anagram for, for such things as Latin Dancer UTI, Nine Tit Dracula, and my favorite, Lauren D. Titanic. Lauren D. Titanic. I got to look this up. I'm looking myself up. <laughs> we haven't done it in a while. Wait, anag- I think I always get cranky when anagrams come up because all mine suck. But you have every all of the vowels in your... Do you use your middle name? No. Okay, yeah, mine don't. suck. I think that's cheating. That's okay. That is, it is cheating, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, let let me let me know if either of you discover any impressive anagrams of your name. In the meantime, <laughs> we learn that Cipher is a traitor. He's the informant who has been working with the agents and who is going to sell out Morpheus because the agents want the access codes to the mainframe of that human city, Zion, to destroy the human population there. After getting a load of Joey Pants's facial hair, I'm like, well, I don't know what I expected in regards to whether he was going to be a hero or a villain. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Right. He, he just looks like a, like, a, like a sad dad who came home from his office job and is like, my office job is fighting the machines and I just want to join the machine. <laughs> the machines have such good meats at their machine restaurants. <laughs> He's like, I actually get along with the machine software guys much better, so I'm just going to go hang out with them. <laughs> I think about this all the time. If the Matrix is real and we are all plugged into a simulation, but then we learn about how it is actually a prison for our minds, if given the opportunity to be freed from it, but then to live a life that seems very dangerous and like the quality of living doesn't seem that great, seems cold and and dark and you have to eat like goo all the time. Like, I'm like, I don't know what I want to live in the matrix. I did think it was interesting that the, like, I mean, the world is so carefully built out and I feel like we get all these like little questions that I would have as a viewer that they just like answer in text of like, you know, it's dangerous to tell people about the matrix when they're past a certain age, which was something that I thought of, of like, oh yeah, that's mm. like, if your brain is fully formed, do you want to learn that everything you've ever known is a lie? Right. Probably not. Probably not. You probably couldn't handle it. And, and that's also why I like mouse so much. I also like mm. mouse because he kind of looks like Will Poulter, but <laughs> I also, I also like mouse because he's like, kind. I mean, he's, outside of the matrix but he's like the food sucks here and i want to have sex and i'm like yeah i'd feel the same way i designed a, a lady computer program for me to have sex with and that's cool what a little rascal and then he like explodes to death i know we're not bringing the sequels in really but the second movie suggests everyone in zion just just fucks, fucks all the time, all the time. Like yeah yeah <laughs> So maybe it was a more of a personal issue for Mouse. <laughs> he just happened to not be fucking. Yes. Aww, poor Mouse. <laughs> but I just, uh, that scene where he turns to Neo and he's just like, this food is bad. I'm horny. I was like, <laughs> I love this kid. Classic Mouse. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then Morpheus takes Neo into the Matrix to see the Oracle to hopefully confirm that Neo is in fact the one. But the Oracle tells Neo that he actually isn't the one. And it's implied that it's because he does not yet believe that he's the one. On their way back out of the Matrix, um, where they like have to answer phones in specific places to get safely disconnected, agents ambush Neo, Morpheus, Trinity, and the rest of the crew, and they kidnap Morpheus. So Neo, Trinity, and everyone else tries to get back, but Cypher is sabotaging them, and he kills Apoc and Switch. And also, this is shortly before this mouse gets shot by oh. the agents. Unceremoniously nuked, because he was too horny to live. <sighs> that mouse, he had to go. Makes me sad. Anytime anyone, I mean, they really do an amazing job of building out the side characters that I'm like, oh, I think I've maybe heard this character speak three or four lines of dialogue, but I'm still absolutely gutted when they're killed. Totally. So much of it is the, is the visuals. Like they're such distinct looking characters. Mm -hmm. They don't blend into each other, especially for 1999. It's, it's a, a, a somewhat diverse cast. So you have mm -hmm. like a really strong feeling for who everybody is, even if you've only heard them talk two or three times. And mostly they just talked about how they were horny. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah 
Okay, so meanwhile, Agent Smith is trying to break Morpheus to get access to these codes to Zion. They're basically like trying to hack his brain. Mm-hmm. And since keeping Zion safe is the most important thing that any of these characters can do, Neo, Trinity, and Tank consider pulling the plug on Morpheus so he doesn't give up these mainframe codes to Zion. But then Neo is like, no, there's got to be another way. So he and Trinity go back into the Matrix to try to save Morpheus and fight the agents. And then what follows is a couple fight sequences where Neo is dodging bullets, Trinity is flying a helicopter, they manage to save Morpheus. You can picture what it looks like. You've all seen... Because you've seen it referred to in every piece of media since then. (laughs) Then Neo gets stuck in the Matrix and has to face off one-on-one with Agent Smith. They fight, and then Agent Smith gets the upper hand and shoots Neo a bunch of times, and he dies. But Trinity, who is back in the real world on Morpheus's ship, is like, Neo, you can't be dead because the Oracle told me I would fall in love with the one and I love you. So you're the one and that means that you can't be dead. And that brings Neo back to life. This is so often written off as like, you know, the obligatory, the woman falls in love with the male love interest. And I like textually that's true, but it's such a fucking lesbian moment. It's so much, <laughs> just so much like, oh, I know I've known you for a couple days, but I'm pretty sure we're gonna get married. And like, you know, nine months from now they're gonna break up, but right now, yes, absolutely. It's true love. Uh, I mean, I never really questioned it. I always bought it. I no. was just like, Yep, she loves him and I mean, who wouldn't love Keanu Reeves when he shows up and is all hot and amazing. Neo and Trinity are just two girls who met at a at a party at Barnard and just like <laughs> hit it off. Oh, spent the next week together and now they've been together for 20 something years. Yeah. Similar to how Rose and Jack of Titanic fame. Of the Titanic? <laughs> of the Titanic, famously, historically, uh, <laughs> is another iconic lesbian romance. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, this is a total tangent, but the director of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Celine Shyama, if I, I, I did an interview with her at Vox. If you find it, she talks about how she modeled her movie on Titanic. Yeah, yeah, Wait, we referenced we that. We talked about that, yeah. On that episode oh on Portrait gosh. of a Lady on Fire. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Awesome, awesome. Uh, <laughs> I like when, I, oh God, I just love when, like, quote unquote, art filmmakers are like, no, of course I watch fucking Titanic. Like, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Uh, so anyway, so Trinity professing her love to an unconscious Neo brings Neo back to life. And so then in the Matrix, he is able to finally defeat Agent Smith and proves that he is the one. And then the movie ends with Neo talking to someone on a payphone. It seems to be that he's like talking to the Matrix itself. He hangs up the phone, Rage Against the Machine starts playing, and then he flies away. (laughs) I didn't know that the movie ended on Rage Against the Machine. And anytime I was watching it with Caitlin, I was like, anytime Rage Against the Machine comes on, I'm instantly like in the backseat of my uncle's car. Like it's just (laughs) instantaneous. We're late to school. He's mad. He's singing the lyrics. (laughs) We're fucked. (laughs) I love it. 
I love that. I love that ending. It is also the most 1999 thing about the movie. It is, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is literally just like, what if we had, what if we had a 1999 in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> that and the scene where Neo has like followed the white rabbit tattoo lady to the club and Rob Zombie is playing. Oh, yeah. Those are the two like, yes, yeah. this movie is extremely from 1999. And it's it's obviously like all the tech, the cell phones and stuff is very... The Nokia phone mm-hmm. that like comes out yeah. down. Uh, yeah. Every time Nokia got a shout out, I was like, good for them. Good for them. They, d- <laughs> they don't know that they're living in the best year that they're ever going to have right now. Let's just let them have it. I feel like Matrix uh, 4 should bring Nokia back. Like, they should just, yeah. Have, they do. Yeah. If anything could, it would be the fourth Matrix movie. Mm-hmm. It will completely revitalize the Nokia brand. One of my great dreams is to interview Lana Wachowski. She's famously press shy. It's never going to happen. But I would just ask her about Nokia. I'd just be like, hey, Lana. Like, that's one of the like things I had. Lana, I want to know how you feel about Nokia. Do you want to bring back the brand? Like, are you concerned about their their market share mm. you know i think we i think we have a lot in common <laughs> <laughs> um let's take a quick break and then we will come right back to discuss are you still searching for your perfect place to call home well now is the time to buy at fisher homes if you're looking to move in before the end of 2024 may could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end if you're hoping to move in even sooner fisher homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful Beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. All right, where shall we begin, friends? Where do we want to start? <laughs> well, um, so in, in recent years, kind of in lieu of both Wachowskis coming out as trans women, The Matrix, especially the first movie, has been widely been interpreted as a trans allegory, which Emily, you have written about. And uh, I was just wondering if you could speak to that more, speak to your interpretation of the film as a trans metaphor. Yeah, We'll we'll be linking to your uh, essay. So you you no pressure to completely uh, reiterate your essay, but um, actually I'm just going to pull it up and read it right now. Yeah, Um, that would actually be amazing. (laughs) 
I mean, the, the basic idea of it is that in 1999, if you were trans or even just like gender non-conforming, gender curious, whatever, going online was like this revolutionary new way to explore like who's your real self, who's the person that you actually want to be. And, and for many, 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 many years, it's been rumored that the Wachowskis wanted Switch within the film to be a woman within the Matrix and a man within reality. And Warner Brothers was like, no. And Keanu Reeves, I think, actually like just confirmed that that's true, this sort of longstanding rumor. No kidding. Uh, when, when I wrote my piece, I had like tracked it down to a couple people where I was like, okay, I feel like it's probably true, but like I could never 100% verify it. And like Keanu now has confirmed it. Thank you, Keanu, for mm, wow. explaining a national that treasure. To us. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, it, it is it is a movie about, you know, living a dual life. It is a movie about feeling like one person, well, you know, you're perceived as another. And it is very much driven by, um, is very much driven by these ideas of duality. And like, there are just like little things like when Neo finds Trinity in the club, uh, he says something like, I wasn't expecting you to be a woman. And she says, most guys don't. Um, and uh, at the end, when Agent Smith is you know, beating up Neo. Uh, he continues to call Neo Mr. Anderson and uh, Neo says, my name is Neo. It's, you know, pretty classic dead naming allegory. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's the famous thing of like, at the time the movie was made out, the pills that contained estrogen were red. So taking the red pill was estrogen or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think, and I say this as like the person that brought a lot of this into the mainstream by writing that essay. I think it is a little overstated. The Wachowskis, like Lily Wachowski has given an interview where she was like, I was not consciously thinking about that at the time. Now I see how it filtered in, but like creating this idea that like everything in it is an intentional allegory, I think kind of cheapens the movie and also cheapens trans storytelling in a lot of ways but mm. the thing that i think is is most trans about it is that the second that neo learns that this one thing about his life is a lie he becomes a communist so um he he he's just like i'm gonna tear down modern society and blah 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 blah. like it is the thing i think gets lost a little bit in discussions of this film is how incredibly incredibly leftist it is especially for 1999 and the sequels go even further in that regard mm -hmm. but yeah like i, I I think it is inescapable that there is a huge trans allegory read of this film. I'm just always very cautious of like, it's not the only read of this movie that is valid just because two trans women made it doesn't mean the only way you can interpret it is as a trans allegory. That's just one of many sure. readings that sits alongside others. And like that, that's not me saying that to you. That's me saying that to the internet, which is <laughs> right. now, which is now like, if you go on Twitter, they're like, here's, this is a, this is a thing all trans people know is if you go on Twitter and you say, did you know The Matrix was a trans allegory made by two trans women? And here's the reasons. You will get 3,000 retweets in like an hour. Because cis <laughs> people, this blows their fucking minds. They're just like, what? Oh the Matrix? I've seen that movie. Am I trans now? And then hopefully that like opens a door in their brain and they think about it. Sure. But uh, yeah, it is, it is a thing... And I worry that it's the same thing that happened with the red pill thing, which I'm sure we're going to, we'll get into where the whole thing is like, this is what the movie's about. And like no movie this good is about one thing. So yes, right. trans allegory, but don't, I wouldn't just boil it down to that except on Twitter. If I want to get retweets. <laughs> I mean, if you need some engagement, it's always going to be there in your back pocket. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I cannot take that from you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for, for, um, for kind of unpacking that. And I think that it is like, um, 
been interesting to watch the I mean, even in truly the five years that I was not watching this movie, uh, <laughs> the the conversation around this movie has changed so significantly. And a lot of it is because of your work. And I, I think it is like fascinating how many different ways there are to look at this movie and how um, the the leftist read really stuck out to me this time as well. And which makes it, I think, even more baffling and like awful that the red pill discussion went the way it did because it's like well he's clearly being radicalized in a very particular direction did you watch the movie yeah 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 i remember when that piece published the matrix piece on the 20th anniversary of the movie so it'd be march 31st 2019 i just know when the matrix came out that's a thing that i just know um (laughs) There were so many people who tweeted that piece out, who like very prominent names within journalism, within the media, et cetera, who were just like, I thought this movie was a conservative screed because it had been like taken over by the red pill people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they'd seen The Matrix, but they hadn't seen it in 20 years or whatever. So it had like calcified in their mind based on who was obsessed with it. So I do like the fact that there is this trans reading of it now because it has liberated the movie from this sort of fate it was going to meet that would be similar to something like fight club where it is now just totally defined by its bad fans even though you know it is not necessarily the movie they're selling it as right sure and i think i think it's been really cool to um i don't know i i'm curious of in your thoughts on this as well emily how lana and lily wachowski have kind of engaged with the trans reading of the movie where it feels like I, I like their i like their style of like responding to stuff like this a lot because it seems like they never bring up new reads of the movie but it's brought to them and they're like oh yeah yeah that's like that is like um i don't know i, I think that the, the way that they engage with fans of the matrix is so smart because it's not like they're resisting doing so at all but they're all also not like I don't know, going the other way that directors do sometimes where they're over-engaging and creating new canon. And I don't know. I just, they're so fucking cool. It's wild. Lily uh, Lily Wachowski works on this really great uh, Showtime show called Work in Progress. Um, Mm -hmm. And I got a chance to talk to her. Uh, I got a chance to talk to her a couple years ago for that show. And I was like, how do I not just make this interview about the matrix? Cause she had the (laughs) other people that work on that show with her there. So I had to like also ask them questions. Mm -hmm. And I finally came up with how is this, you know, this tiny little TV show that you make basically independently. How is that on any continuum with the matrix? And her answer was basically just like, I'm always trying to talk about the same things and it doesn't matter the size of the story. And I was like, thank you, Lily Wachowski. That's a great answer to that question. So. Amazing. Yeah. I just to kind of go back to the idea that a piece of media like this, especially because the director's intent was not specifically at the time to make this trans allegory because they're both trans women, it stands to reason that they might have written certain just little details or themes or something like that yeah. mm-hmm. into the story kind of unconsciously almost or subconsciously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But as you stated, because it, it wasn't like deliberately created as this specific mm-hmm. allegory from a very intentional place, because there are some movies that are like, whatever what's his fate darren aronofsky being like yeah mother exclamation point is he's got like charts behind him he's like the allegory (laughs) is very precise you're like yeah and then you watch the movie and you're like what are you even what are you trying to say here but like (laughs) the thing with a lot of 
metaphor and allegory found in art and in narratives is that it wasn't necessarily intentional, um, which does mean that it is open to interpretation. And I think that's just like a really cool thing about this movie and about the franchise. And not only that, the movie explores all these like philosophical (laughs) things. I remember I took a class as a freshman in college and wrote a paper about The Matrix. So I'm sure you can imagine how brilliant of a piece of writing that was. But it was a (laughs) class called like philosophy, art and film. And you had to like watch a movie and then take like a philosopher's (laughs) philosophy and then apply it to the movie. So I don't even know what philosophy I was trying to like <laughs> attach to the matrix but i remember i was i was like oh my god i'm so freaking deep right now i'm so smart this movie is about choice and it's about duality and it's about fate or what if there's not fate and like <laughs> just like all this stuff and i don't know I, I feel like this movie is just so rich in that way that it is open to a lot of interpretations and a lot of analysis from many different perspectives so our 18 year old selves would have totally vibed is what you're saying we would have just like hung out and just talked talked the matrix and be like you know it's kind of about every philosophy <laughs> right <laughs> oh. I, I, that's like part of what makes this movie so cool and and why i feel like there there are so many different lenses to view it with is like there, there is a trans allegory in here there is a like leftist radicalization in there and it's because it's so unique to who these filmmakers are so it's like of Mm -hmm. course all this stuff is showing up and i like i mean they're two of the most distinct filmmakers in the entire world like and and i i really i mean just truly as a new convert to the matrix (laughs) fandom i was so blown away and impressed with how many I mean, you said now Aronofsky stuck in my mind because some, this is what I struggle with with him in certain cases. It's like, you know, the Wachowskis are able to take so much complicated stuff and make it fun and engaging to watch. And it's moving the story where like other filmmakers are like really getting bogged down and trying to let you know that they've read a book and you're like, it's fine. <laughs> like, I believe you, but I'm so bored. And I don't know. They're just uh, they're so fucking smart. Um, you know, I think um, uh, this is the, the famously a movie um, that it blends a whole bunch of influences. You know, it blends in anime, it blends in wuxia, also known as kung fu movies. Mm-hmm. It blends in like like there's a lot of James Cameron in this movie, which I don't know that I every time I rewatch them, like this is like this is very on a line with like Aliens or True Lies or some of those True. movies. Mm-hmm. And I think that people miss how many like intellectual influences are also in there. And like, so like the trans stuff is in there, the philosophy stuff is in there, but also just like, they clearly had read a lot of, you know, Noam Chomsky and stuff. And like that just gets dropped in there, but it's all in the package of this huge, big budget action movie that totally works as an action movie. You can detach from all of that and still enjoy this. It's, and I think that's why it's so perfect is because it works on like 16 levels at once. Mm-hmm. I read on our favorite scholarly journal, Wikipedia, that the <laughs> Lily and Lana Wachowski required the cast to yeah. be able to explain what the Matrix is. And they <laughs> made them read, and I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, 
but Simulacra, Simulacra and Simulation yes. from mm-hmm. French philosopher Jean Baudrillard Jean or something. Baudrillard. <laughs> We're so smart. Again, I'm we so sorry. I do books. not speak French. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the Wachowskis were like, Keanu Reeves, we're going to require that you understand a lot of uh, heavy philosophy to be able to be in this movie. And I love that. And now just like knowing what sort of person Keanu Reeves is, at least in the public facing way, you're just like, he was so down for that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There, We talked about this in the Matrix episode that no longer exists, but uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> I used to work at a bookstore. It was my first, uh, I worked at Book Soup in LA and that was my first job when I moved here. And Keanu Reeves would come every Wednesday night on his motorcycle and get a new book and Sudoku puzzles. And he's a he's a bookhead. I think it's so cool that, that they gave him homework. I also just like, as someone who does not have the confidence to give someone homework, I love that the Wachowskis were like, yeah, you're gonna need to get a library card and really put in some hours because the test is on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I would agree to come on the show, I required you both to read Jacques Baldiard's uh, Similar Crime and Simulation. So I'd like to leave like a 10 minute discussion of that right now and what your thoughts were. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So um... I thought it was really good. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was your favorite plot twist? <laughs> I thought it was uh, derivative, if you're asking me. <laughs> I liked when Simulacra and Simulation met for the first time. I thought it was so cute. Oh, I love yeah. when they kiss at the end. So romantic. I know. And you're like, Simulation loved Simulacra so much the whole time. <laughs> and Simulacra had no idea. But then when they heard it, they were, oh, it was just, I thought it was beautiful. Another iconic lesbian romance. Exactly. I did <laughs> mm-hmm. think it was a little weird when it was revealed that they were the same person. But that's also iconic lesbian cinema. So... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, I liked the uh, the duality. I liked the the tone. I liked the ideas, and I loved reading the index. Also, um, we're all, we're all going to have somebody with hire a skywriter above our houses to say read sim- <laughs> simulation, you assholes. <laughs> read, read, I dare you. Oh my gosh, I, yeah, I just, oh god, I love. I mean, there is a part of that anecdote that makes me feel like I'm being like, I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is kind of just a simulation of being in the DSA where everyone's like, have you read this book? And you're like, I haven't. I just want everyone to have health insurance. I'm sorry. The thing that uh, this is this is a, I've tweeted about this several times. The thing that like like most makes me stand out at like when I hang out with with other leftists is like I have super normie pop culture taste. <laughs> yeah. I'm just Same. like yeah, well you know I like you know these extremely mainstream HBO shows, and they're like what about this? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, that's fine too. You want to talk about Succession, everybody? <laughs> right, right. I know. Is this I um. The leftists, I mean, I love them to death and make room for us basic gals because we have something to bring to the table, too. (laughs) Yeah. You want to listen to Taylor Swift together? You want to recruit people into the movement? You got to be able to talk about what happened on Succession last week. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Let's take another quick break and then we will come back for more discussion. (laughs) 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. One last comment on the the homework section. Um, I just like that that section ends with (laughs) Carrie Ann Moss commented that she had difficulty with this process. (laughs) (laughs) Keanu is like, yes, more books. And she's like, I did not sign up for this. I thought I was going to be wearing a jacket and fighting. I mean, I don't know how much of her fighting in the movie is like, stunt people but it seems like a lot of the actors were like trained in martial arts and doing a lot of their own stunts and fight choreography which I was very impressed by mm-hmm. uh, so she was probably just busy learning like martial arts and she didn't have time to read a book much like mm-hmm. us <laughs> i remember lawrence fishburne was on hannibal and um i talked to brian fuller a lot around that show and mm-hmm. he was like Sometime between season one and season two, Lawrence Fishburne came to him and was like, listen, Brian, I have all this Kung Fu training from the Matrix. Can I get in a fight? And like, there's an amazing fight in season two that was inspired entirely by him being like, Brian Fuller, I know how to fight. Please let me fight. So yeah, they they did a lot of their own stuff. Yeah, that's so cool. I guess if I knew how to do Kung Fu, I would just try to work it into whatever (laughs) I did for the rest of my life also. That's so cool. <laughs> really hard to do in an audio medium is the thing. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would definitely try and work it into <laughs> season three of Arden. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just again, leak, leak the Zoom call, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our hair looks great. We have mm-hmm. Kung Fu skills to show off. What are we doing? Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about the film itself, the the narrative, the characters, because I think we've got an interesting cast of characters here. And I think one of the reasons the movie holds up as well as it does, I think one of the reasons that I was so attached to it as a young person is like the badassery of Trinity. And this was like the bulk of our conversation on the, again, first version of this episode that no longer exists. Mm-hmm. But, um, release the tapes. Come on. <laughs> 
we should we should drop we still have the audio file in our google drive we should drop a little because that was fun for our listeners to go back and be like wow jamie didn't make a definitive statement the whole time interesting so we did, yeah maybe on our patreon we'll like leak a couple minutes or something <laughs> my deepest shame um anyways <laughs> but um i feel almost like simple being like yeah trinity's so cool and badass and like watching her fight competently and like know how to hack and like know she just she's equipped with a with a lot of skills but i never felt that she fell into like a, the mary sue type well i feel like it's implied that she's had extensive training too like the more you get to know her character it's like you know how yeah why why she can do what she does yeah. right yeah different characters and it's often like the villains are constantly underestimating her also mm-hmm. where there's like the movie opens on that sequence where there's like a cop who's like, Oh, we can handle one little girl. And then agent Smith who knows who Trinity is and like understands the extent of her capabilities is like, no Lieutenant, your men are already dead. And that was an amazing Hugo Weaving impression. Thank you so much. That was really good. <laughs> that was good. That was really good. <laughs> Pouted those gorgeous lips, just like just like Mr. Hugo does. Hugo Weaving Weaving's lips are so distracting in this movie, and I like in a good way. But I was just like, I just wasn't expecting oh. those beautiful lips out that whole time. Wow. There's Incredible. a part at the very end. It's like the final battle between him and Neo, and again, he's constantly calling Neo. Mr. Anderson throughout the whole movie and his voice gets really gravelly at one point and he's just like Mr. Anderson <laughs> it's incredible and then like it's Neo not, does like good Caitlin <laughs> Neo kind of like flexes and like you see dust come off of his shirt and then he just like starts to beat Agent Smith's ass Ugh, it's so good anyway my point is people <laughs> People are often underestimating Trinity, which is something that many women can identify with. Um, Even Neo, like you mentioned, Emily, um, there's that scene where he's like, oh, you're the Trinity who cracked the IRS D-base? And she's like, yes, but that was a long time ago. I'm humble. And then uh, he's like, oh, I just thought you were a guy. And she's like, most guys do. I don't know, just like those little nuggets in there. They're kind of like, not like throwaway moments really, but just like little details that I found made that character just like especially relatable and... And I like that it's like they're not, I don't know, there are certain movies where it's like those moments come off as extremely over the top. And like, I feel like we've talked about a lot of action movies where there's like the like, you're a good, 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 good girl, like right. in the middle of a scene. But it's just like, it, it. even though that moment happens, it's just a natural part of the scene. And it's not like the reaction from Neo isn't like, I found out that like a woman is an incredible hacker and I'm upset about it. He's just like, oh, I guess my assumption was wrong. And then the right. scene continues. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize how, what a relief that is to watch someone react like that. The sympathy of that moment in that scene is with, trinity and that's why it works because yeah, you're like yeah. you're like oh she's been underestimated that fucking sucks because i already know she can kick people in the face mm-hmm. you know or whatever <laughs> right. uh, you mentioning how much hacking is in this movie reminds me there's this other influence in the film that's totally been forgotten which is 
mid nineties movies about the internet that tried yes. to like personify like this is just Sandra Bullock's the net, uh-huh. but like a little bit better, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the net we should cover the net. We should cover the net. We've covered hackers. <laughs> I'll come on to talk about the net anytime. Please come back and do the net. Oh my god. Um, there's another small moment that's like, again, very fleeting, but just like relatable. And, and I really appreciated it where Neo has taken the red pill. They're kind of like preparing him to be unplugged from the matrix. And like Trinity is hooking him up to a bunch of like apparatus and Neo's just like, you did all this to Trinity. And she was just like, "Mm mm-hmm. So like, it was just like a, a nice moment where he like recognizes that she probably put in all of this effort and like did all this work and like set up this whole thing, especially now that he knows that she's the one who like has all these amazing like hacking and computer skills. And then mm-hmm. she's just like, uh-huh. Yeah, I did that. Like very matter of factly. And he's just like, cool. And cause like so many movies, like you said, Jamie, there would be, if we saw a woman like doing something impressive or we saw like, you know, kicking or hacking or something, mm. the guys would be like, what? Boner. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then they'd like instantly fall in love with her and their like jaws would drop and they just like wouldn't know how they to turn into that horny cartoon wolf. <laughs> right. Uh. And they just like wouldn't know how to comprehend that like a woman is capable of something, especially something that they assume would be something that only a man could do Hmm. so yeah just these like little moments that we like learn things about her character we learn about her abilities and it's just presented very matter-of-factly and in a way that like neo immediately accepts and there is i think um some of those moments where people are like whoa trinity you can do things um they feel so much like studio notes. They feel so much like somebody at the exact level was like, well, if she's with all these computers, someone has to note that she did that and that's unusual because she's a girl. And so they put that in the script and like most directors would make a big moment of that. But like the Wachowskis, even if they were not aware of their transness at the time, their sympathies are always with Trinity um, because Mm -hmm. they are in fact women. uh, And like that, makes those moments play because you're not like sitting there and being like oh my god this is so condescending because it's it is like a thing that would have been condescending in any other movie with the exact same dialogue it's just like how they weight that scene i was i was i was kind of challenged by a lot of moments in the movie for that exact reason where it's like on paper if you hear like Similar thing with with Joey Pants when you find out that Joey Pants has been lusting after Trinity I at first it being my first time encountering this plot point, I was like, oh, cool. We're adding in a spiteful ex-boyfriend character to the one woman we're going to get to know during this movie. Like, where is this going to go? But the way, I don't know, I, I generally felt like the way that that storyline played out, I just feel like I, it, almost any other director would have implied that Trinity had somehow brought this upon herself that she could have handled rejecting Joey Pants in a different way that would have prevented this outcome but this movie doesn't go for that at all it presents the spiteful Joey Pants ex-boyfriend of which there are unfortunately many in the world and does not blame the woman who is being raged at for what is happening which again is just like I feel like that just wasn't happening a lot in movies at that time. And I was, Mm -hmm. I ended up being kind of pleasantly surprised by, I mean, and again, it's like, that's scraps, but it, it, I was 
surprised that that was how that story kind of played out. What if every shitty, spiteful ex-boyfriend turned into a clone of Joe Pantoliano, like <laughs> Agent Smith overtaking Ooh. someone in the Matrix? Now that's a movie. <laughs> I hope I hope that's Resurrections, <laughs> that they just aren't showing it. <laughs> I did want to talk a little bit about the romantic subplot between yeah. Trinity and Neo, because that's the one aspect of this movie where I get a little... Oh. I'll be honest. I mean, yeah. Entering it in 2021, I feel like it, it was it stood out to me a little bit more because I didn't have any nostalgia for the movie, and also because we recently covered Speed in this movie, which ends with Keanu getting a little a little slurp <laughs> at the end, a plot resolving slurp, if you will. Sure. Yeah. My main gripes. With, I don't even hate that it's there. You know, m- movies be movies, and movies have hetero romantic subplots in them uh often so weird. what i don't <laughs> there are there are heterosexuals one <laughs> i know is that still a thing god <laughs> i'm actually writing stand-up material about this as we speak but yeah. um <laughs> my gripes with it are that neo being brought back to life by like trinity's love and kiss to me that almost read is like because it's a it's a surprise kiss of trinity kissing neo while he's unconscious yeah like the prince and snow white bringing back to life like that whole fairy tale thing it's like why you're like don't don't kiss an unconscious person they cannot consent and stop showing that in movies also um yeah my other question i'm interested to hear people's thoughts about this is so the oracle prophesized that or is that a word prophesied prophesied made a prophecy (laughs) she did a prophecy she did she did a prophecy that trinity would fall in love and that that man would be the one and then that ends up being true my question is does it feel like that kind of removes agency from Trinity or is that not how prophecies work? No, I just, you know what I mean? I don't know. I, my feeling on that was like, if were I Trinity receiving my prophecy of which you seem to only get one, I would be sort of let down that uh, the prophecy seemed to have actually not that much to do with me and more like a second prophecy for a different person. <laughs> like I I do think that there is like that trope that you see a million times of like uh, a woman's love will, you know, it's like Helen of Troy shit, you know, a woman's love will resolve the plot or the war or whatever mm-hmm. it is. That's definitely present here. I don't know. I mean, in terms of agency, I guess I hadn't really considered that. But I think that that's more of a testament to like, it it feels so clear in the plot that Trinity and and Neo should be together that if I felt like there wasn't chemistry between those characters, um, and that I wanted them to kiss so badly, maybe, maybe that would have (laughs) worked to me. I don't know. That it does. Then I mean, when you think about the prophecy that Morpheus received, which was you're going to find the one. Right. Neo's prophecy is you are the one as long as you believe that you're the one. And once you believe that you're the one, then you're the one. Those are prophecies that have to do with them. <laughs> right. And then Trinity's prophecy is you're going to fall in love with a man, mm-hmm. which feels feels like a very gendered choice. But 
Again, I don't even hate that the love story is there, but it does. No, I mean, I like the love story. I do think that the two sequels really do a lot to further sell it. And I'm always like reading who those two characters become back onto the first movie. But Mm -hmm. I remember in 1999, I was very much like, yeah, I don't know this love story. I I think they have good chemistry, but I'm not sure it was needed. Right. But like Matrix Reloaded especially has some great stuff for those two characters uh, to sort of bounce off of each other. But yeah, like if it wasn't for their chemistry, I don't think it would work. Fortunately, they have amazing chemistry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do feel like there are there are some kind of and Emily. Once you brought up studio notes, now I can't stop thinking of like, well, at what you know, I, I now I want to blame everything I didn't a hundred percent love about the movie on studio notes, but who knows? I do feel like it would have been just as easy, and it wouldn't have impacted the story for them to not get together in that way and be like a team. And I think that that would have been just as strong a choice and would have worked completely fine. And the love story didn't have to be there. I didn't hate that it was there. But I felt like, yeah, my my main thing was like we, especially because the movie starts with just a long introduction to how fucking cool and capable and brilliant Trinity is for her to get a message like that from the Oracle and then just have it bear out and not have Trinity I mean, she it's I thought it was interesting because in the movie, she seems kind of annoyed that that is what she was told or like very conflicted Mm. of like, that's what I have to learn. Like, because it just we know like we've seen how much she can do. It doesn't quite make sense that her fate would be so limited in the way that it's presented. There's a great piece on the sadly defunct website, The Dissolve by um, Mm. Tasha Robinson about this very thing about how many movies have a basically a trinity character who is badass and capable and can do anything and then her story ends up being but also she falls in love with the guy and Mm -hmm. the matrix actually does a pretty good job with that idea and is sort of the innovator of that trope which is i think why in some ways it gets away with it but then by the time she wrote it in 2015 it's just like everywhere and it's not doing anything it's just like sitting there taking up space and and having the illusion of strong women characters while never actually having to create a strong woman character they're creating the trappings of one without actually yeah. uh, having to make a, a full character by the way do you think people go to the oracle and get just like really boring prophecies do you think the oracle's <laughs> ever just like jamie you've seen the most beautiful duck you'll ever see already like do you think that ever just comes up and then i would just walk into traffic afterwards i'd be like well <laughs> thanks a lot <laughs> I hope so. I the, we'll we'll get to the oracle whole 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 discussion to be had there. I God, that's my that's my worst fear is to encounter someone who's just like, uh, yeah, your best days are very much behind you. So just ride it out. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Jamie, you pointed out the movie opens with this like whole sequence showcasing trinity and her skills like for this action movie to open on an action set piece which is not uncommon for an action movie but for that action set piece to center around a woman and a woman who's not even the protagonist because you would expect that from something like Lara Croft Tomb Raider or something like that but we get this whole set piece where we see a woman fighting and kicking ass and she doesn't even end up being the protagonist of the narrative, I think is like, 
I don't know where else I've ever seen that. I don't think really anywhere. It's amazing. Yeah, I think just to kind of jump back to how, yeah, before this, and especially like action movies and action franchises, the one woman character who we get to know pretty well would be framed only as the romantic interest who maybe gets like dragged along for the ride, but isn't participating in any of the action or the plot herself and is just kind of like present for the man to eventually kiss at the end. Whereas this movie, and I'm sure, you know, there are other examples before this, but like, I feel like this is one of the ones that like kind of popularized or like actually gave the the woman more agency, more to do, more skills, and actually allowed her to participate in the plot in more meaningful ways. But still couldn't quite stick the landing on giving her the full story. <laughs> right. There's there's really before this movie there is if you're a woman in a movie you are just an incredible badass. A woman in an action movie, you're just an incredible badass. Usually there's not a man around. Like the kind of the one exception I'm thinking of right now is um, uh, Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2. Right. But even like in the first Terminator, she falls in love with this guy and has sex with him, right. and, you know, whatever. Or you are the love interest, you know. Right. Um, so this is the first movie that tries to blend those two, but is very much like at the end, they have to pick one of those two corridors and they pick the wrong one to my mind. Right. <laughs> it's messy and it's and it's like we're it's not even like we're we're suggesting that women who can execute perfect fight choreography and hack a computer don't deserve love if they want love or <laughs> they want a relationship but it's right. like more the way that it's executed and how what we're told in the first half of the movie is what makes her special isn't what makes her special or relevant to the plot by the end and right. that is like I don't know if that all like played in and she wants a boyfriend. Amazing. Great. Mm -hmm. Love that. But yeah, I don't know. Definitely a little bit messy, but still, I mean, I, I keep every time I like feel the need to qualify it at every turn as like, but it's doing way better than any other movie was doing at this time, <laughs> like right. yeah. by quite a bit. So I feel like, yeah, that's there's a lot of product of its timeziness to that choice. Mm -hmm. Along the lines of this being a product of its time, this is a movie from, as we've stated, 1999. And like 1999 is just clogged with movies that are about, well, we've reached the end of history. Capitalism <laughs> won and everything's great. Why do I feel hollow inside? And like there's like five or six that come out in 99 and then like even more if you include 98 and 2000. Mm -hmm. But The Matrix is the one that's held up best to my mind because it has this larger critique of everything feels empty because you have been misled by corporations and governments and all these systems to think that you do not have any actual human connection. And the truth is you should have human connection. You should move to a city at the center of the earth and just fuck everyone you see. <laughs> like that is the message of these movies. But like, you know, you compare it to something like American Beauty, which won Best Picture that year. Mm. And it's just that that vision yeah, of yeah, like yeah. what it means to be alive is like so shallow. And this movie's vision of what it means to be alive is so rich and fascinating and, and weird and complicated. And um, I think that is to the credit of the Wachowskis, whatever stumbles they may have made along the way. Sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah. I, I, I just love Trinity. And I also love how uh, they're, I don't know, the way that the characters are presented in this movie. I know it's just like a part of the aesthetic of this world as it is, but the women in this world are not 
aggressively sexualized. You know, everyone is basically wearing the same exact outfit. Everyone has a variation on the same exact haircut. And, and everyone has the jawline to pull off that haircut. <laughs> and, and don't yeah. don't get us wrong. Trinity is very sexy. But yes, I agree oh, that like sure. she is not everyone is sexual. Sexy, Everyone's not extremely sexy. But yeah, not overtly sexualized. Yeah. It's kind of that. It is kind of that 90s internet aesthetic where it's like, well, online, everyone's the same. Everyone just kind of looks the same, has the same vibe on the internet. No one knows you're a dog, whatever that cartoon was at the time. Like, um, (laughs) and I, when I've watched the trailer for this, there's a lot more, less homogeneity, uh, you know, within that world. And I think it's because now we understand the internet can be as terrible as real life too, if not worse. Uh, I wanted to, uh, we haven't talked too much about Morpheus yet. Mm. I wanted to talk about Morpheus uh, a little bit. I mean, first of all, because he's amazing. (laughs) He's great. Mm. Um, But there was, as I was going back to, so I was um, doing the always interesting, but sometimes unpleasant task of going back to the original round of criticism for this movie in the late 90s, going into kind of like movie blogs of the early 2000s and there was, a, I think, especially in the earlier years of this movie, a fair amount of criticism around mystical black character tropes used in the writing of Morpheus's character, mm-hmm. as well as the Oracle. Um, so I kind of wanted to uh, open the floor on, on that topic, too. I mean, the criticism that I was seeing, and, and we can um, link this in the description as well, is that... And we've discussed this. I mean, we we just discussed this on the show in our uh, Full Court Miracle episode <laughs> where that trope couldn't be more different movies, but the trope is at play to varying degrees in both of these movies that are made by, you know, made and written by white filmmakers in which essentially a black character appears as this mystical fairy godmother plot advancement character for the chosen white protagonist, whether that be Neo or the kid in Full Court Miracle miracle you know <laughs> it just it just all depends um and i i mean i i think that it's absolutely a valid criticism of the way that those characters are written not the worst example but um certainly is present i think uh originally i mean the term was originally used by spike lee in 2001 and i have an old salon um article up here which really Ooh. takes me back but the characters being cited when this term was first coined was Cuba Gooding Jr. in What Dreams May Come, which is a movie I haven't seen that's about a spirit guide helping Robin Williams rescue his wife from hell, question mark. Um, Will Smith in The Legend of Bagger Vance, uh, Lawrence Fishburne in The Matrix, uh, which is described as in this as Obi-Wan to Keanu Reeves as Luke Skywalker, and Michael Clark Duncan in The Green Mile, mm. in which he you know plays a man on death row who has healing powers and heals right. white characters. Do you want to know the surprise twist of what dreams may come? <laughs> what is it? Yes. Cooper Gooding Jr. is playing Robin Williams' son in disguise to like lead him through the afterlife. Oh, yeah, because what? if it was his actual son, Robin Williams wouldn't like a, a, go along with it. I don't know. It's very <laughs> weird. Huh. I have never heard of this movie, and, and it I hate an everything Oscar I've heard for of visual it. effects. But yeah, um, yeah. 
so I just I, I did want to you know just bring that criticism up because it, it it's uh, something that comes up quite a bit in in movies still, but I think in a high density of movies of this kind of stretch of of years in the late '90s into the early 2000s. Sure. It does. Uh, one thing I like about the casting of the fourth movie is it seems, yes, they have uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen playing, who is obviously the Morpheus character, mm-hmm. um, but they have a bunch of other actors of color in different roles that look like they're going to be all kind of over the map. And I think that will help with this issue. I do think, I think that like this is obviously a, a, a valid and important criticism of the film. I do think that there is the thing of, you know, they considered a lot of different actors for the role of Morpheus. They settled on Lawrence Fishburne. Should they, when they settled on him, did they settle on him because they had certain, you know, racist stereotypical ideas that, you know, were in their heads already? You know, we can't know that, but I do think once you've cast a black actor in a role like this, you do have sort of the burden of going back over the script and being like, okay, are there ways we can complicate this? Are there ways we can make it more interesting? That said, I think that Morpheus is nowhere near <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> in what no, dreams right, we right. Like he's a fully realized human being. And like sometimes the tropes are bad because they we just lean on the tropes. And sometimes the tropes exist because we need certain tropes to tell stories. We're not saying we need this one, but Morpheus is a fully realized human being, and I think that keeps him from falling into the worst examples of this. The yeah. the thing that and again it's like we're <laughs> We're three white women here, and <laughs> Extra- I want to be clear: extremely white. When I said big Reese Witherspoon energy, I was describing myself. So. <laughs> uh, but but I did. I mean, the the only thing that this is even like pushing back at all. But like Will Smith almost played Neo is uh, mm-hmm. another thing that I kind of took into consideration when I was just kind of going through this criticism is. I, I think that I, I totally agree with you, Emily, where it is on the filmmakers once they've made their casting decisions to consider, you know, whether intended or not, what might be coming across and and take that into consideration with how characters are presented and how their their storylines unfold. But it does seem like the cast, I mean, reading about the casting process for The Matrix outside of this discussion is just very interesting. Will Smith uh, has made so many YouTube videos about he, how he almost took this I part. He's still mad about it. He's still that. mad about it. There's one in particular that like involves some animation and he like, <laughs> really? it's so funny. He's spending money telling people that he was almost <laughs> in The Matrix. Like, it's funny. <laughs> it's amazing. So I, I, I think that, you know, where the casting did land it's a valid criticism and, 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 you know, I think were it be made now, like if this movie was coming out now, it would be something that would be taken into account more carefully because Spike Lee made this criticism of all of these movies. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I definitely think the Oracle does fall a bit more into that trope. I mean, because we know nothing about her (laughs) at all. She's in one scene and everything we know about her is that she seems to have these like kind of otherworldly clairvoyant capabilities that no one else has. So Mm -hmm. yeah, she is presented as this very like mystical figure. I love that performer though. Yeah. I just want to Gloria Foster so good. And so there's something so warm about her. Yes. And like, I wish we'd gotten 10 million more performances from her. She's so good. Yeah. She's also in the, in Matrix Reloaded. And then I believe that actor 
died died before yeah. they shot revolutions but the the character is still there and they actually comment on like why she looks different because she gets a different actor gets cast yeah. to play the oracle mm-hmm. in matrix revolutions but um yeah that actor was incredible oh, and like funny too <laughs> in a movie that doesn't have a ton of like very light calming scenes it's just i don't know Mm -hmm. and and the set design the kitchen the green kitchen that she's in is so i don't know Mm. she's she's good she's very good but i do think also cleanly falls into that yeah trope yeah yes i uh i just saw that will smith turned this movie down to do wild wild west yes and i see why he's so upset yes (laughs) isn't so that's why he's so mad about it and he'll never get over it is because he (laughs) didn't just turn it down to do a different good movie (laughs) he turned it down to do (laughs) one of my favorite bad movies Yeah, uh, we'll send you the link to the video where he like lays out the whole story. It's very funny. He was just kind of like skeptical of the script, I think. And he also didn't, I think he didn't want to be typecast as like the sci-fi action guy because he had already been in Men in Black and Independence Day. Yeah. So yeah, it's we'll 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 share the the link to everybody uh, of that video. But it all makes sense on paper. But then when you know that he turned on the Matrix, <laughs> that is funny. And I think it would have. I mean, I wouldn't trade Keanu as Neo for for anyone. But I do right. I do like to think of like Will Smith and Lawrence Fishburne would have been. I mean, it would have been very different, but it would have been cool. It would have been good. Well, that's the thing. It wouldn't have been Lawrence Fishburne. They had Val Kilmer in mind to play Morpheus. Had it been oh, Will Smith right. that got cast. God, I have to go Neo. back and watch Will Smith's cursed YouTube video about this. I forgot <laughs> about that. But even though these tropes are present in this movie, I would say that this is a surprisingly diverse cast for a late mm-hmm. a late 90s action movie. And I think gets even more diverse as the movies go on, because in the two sequels, a ton of new characters are introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even too many, I would argue. But <laughs> most of them are people of color, especially the characters who are like fighting for the resistance, like who are like inhabitants of Zion, are like mostly people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think it bugs Will Smith because Jada Pinkett Smith is in the two sequels and like she just holds it over him all that, the time? Yeah. Also, yes. I did consider. Oh that. my gosh! And they have they. We know that they have some some issues that they need to work out in public <laughs> they have to oh there i just wanted sorry i i know we're having a very an extremely academic discussion i just wanted to like go through the other casting stuff because i always forget how kind of wild it was um so yeah will smith said i would rather do wild wild west one of the taking one of the biggest l's in all of casting history <laughs> nicholas cage turned it down due to family obligations who knows what that means uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, originally accepted the part, but then said that he did too many visual effects in Titanic and he didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> then the studio was like, Keanu Reeves, who got the role over Johnny Depp, who I guess is who the Wachowskis wanted for this role. Hmm. And then there was a side quest where they sent the screenplay to Sandra Bullock and were going to rewrite Neo to be a woman, which <gasps> I guess didn't happen but i was like oh that's interesting there's just so really the net it would just have been the net (laughs) (laughs) it could have been the net i yeah so you know that's a lot of information all at once 
I would have loved Neo as a woman, especially because we talk about this a lot where there are a bazillion chosen one narratives as movies and very few of them are about a woman. Mm -hmm. So that would have been very cool. But at the same time... I love Keanu as Neo. I know. And and for Trinity, sorry, it's just it's really interesting. Janet Jackson was considered for Trinity and Salma Hayek and Jada Pinkett Smith were also considered and then um didn't do it, but then Jada came in later anyways. Janet Jackson is such a fucking good movie actress and she's only made just a handful of films and mm-hmm. she's just really good. Yeah. Like Come on, Janet. I want like I want Hollywood to cast Janet more often. Or I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like she was pretty bummed about not getting to do the Matrix. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But yeah, again, American action franchises have usually a, a pretty big problem with casting mostly white actors. Mm-hmm. But again, the Matrix, even the first movie, is doing better than most. Between the protagonist Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, who is coded white i think a lot of times in more or less yeah in movies um he is of european chinese and polynesian ancestry so he's Mm -hmm. multiracial so between keanu lawrence fishburne as morpheus the actors who play tank and dozer the actor who plays apoc julian arhanga is maori Uh, again just a more diverse cast than most action movies of this time and more representative of what a futuristic leftist society would look like so it makes narrative sense and world building sense in a way that a lot of movies ignore it's true and like this is this is nothing to do with the film's racial diversity but i think in terms of gender presentation diversity obviously this movie is very androgynous across the board but um belinda mcclory as switch the character who was originally sort of intended as trans like Mm -hmm. there nobody was nobody was styled like that in an action movie at the time like she's just so there's just such an an androgynous non-conforming energy just sort of pouring off of her Mm, totally and I really, I mean, I just, and this is kind of just like a compliment to the movie, but the way that the the crew of the ship, which I'm not going to try to say because I'm not going to say it right, but the way that the crew works together, I just, I just really <laughs> like how they interact with each other where, like you were saying earlier in this episode, Emily, like everyone has a distinct personality, even when you don't hear them speak very much. Everyone yeah. knows what their role is. But I, I just I don't know the way that the movie's written and they're used so thoughtfully to like, oh, this person's talking behind Morpheus's back a little bit or like the way that Trinity clearly has this deep respect for Morpheus, but is sometimes like, well, he's wrong about that, though. Like he's wrong mm-hmm. and he's being short sighted and just like. I don't know. I, I I really love when there's a group of characters who clearly hold a lot of love and respect for each other, but also are constantly talking shit about each other um, <laughs> in a way that is just like very effortless. And in this completely bizarro world feels like real and like actual dynamics that you would see in a group of friends who, you know, the fate of the world is not hinged on. Is it fair to say that part of the trans allegory is that like, this group of people is like each other's chosen family yeah that's i think that that is very um there is a queerness to it that is very i think 
interesting and I don't know how intentional, but uh, definitely subconsciously intention, uh, intentional. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how they're making so many TV shows set in like movie universes now. And like a show just sort of set on any given ship in the Matrix universe where they're just like hanging out and like complaining about each other and occasionally <laughs> fighting spider robots. Yeah. That, that'd be rad. I'd watch that. I would 100% watch that. That'd be incredible. Yeah. The one thing I didn't watch in preparation for this was Animatrix, which I haven't seen yeah. at all. Yeah. And I, I've heard it's good and I, I think I just need to sit down and commit to it. But uh, It's like really hard to see now. I think it's on I HBO think. Max. It's on HBO Max now? I believe okay, great. so. Cool. I just, yeah, For a I'm long time, it was hard to see. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It seems to be accessible now, so I'm going to go check it out. But um, Oh, I was going to say, going back to the discussion of gender expression and presentation of certain characters, Trinity's character design and aesthetic is also not what you would expect as the main female character in an action movie, who also plays the role of the love interest of the male hero, Her clothes and haircut are, I would say, pretty gender neutral. You know, she doesn't have this long flowing hair that's completely impractical to fight bad guys with. And she's not like made up in a bunch of makeup the way that, again, a lot of women would be in an action franchise because the, (laughs) the function that a lot of women serve in an action franchise is to like be eye candy for what the studios assume is going to be a mostly hetero male audience. But they don't stylize Trinity that way. And it wouldn't make sense that she would like be all made up when she's like flying around in the Nebuchadnezzar. But they also don't make her up that way when she's like in the Matrix either, which I thought was interesting and cool. They, in fact, even make her a little less glamorous in the sequels. Like if that's at all. Like I love how (laughs) stripped down the visuals of this just just constantly are in terms of not trying to make anyone movie pretty. They're, of course, incredibly attractive, but they don't like overstate that attractiveness. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, and again, it's just like the Wachowskis are so confident when they make a choice, they make it so hard that it's like, yeah, we're just going to let the hot people be hot and not, you know, it, <laughs> they're all going to wear the same outfit. We don't need to embellish it like we're just going to let the jawlines do what they do and fall where they may. And it's going to be sexy because it is like, I don't know. Right. I was just thinking about the bullet time thing where the camera swings all the way around. Mm-hmm. And like the f- other early major use of this technology was for a gap commercial like <laughs> really that came out at the holidays. Yeah, it was like they were. <laughs> doing a swing dance or something oh yeah i I remember that i cannot remember if the gap ad predates the matrix or the matrix predates the gap ad because i don't think that bullet time was like invented for the matrix but i think it was like a thing that they pulled in that other people had also come up with but i would not be surprised if it would be great if the gap ad came first and like everyone in the matrix was like we missed it by like two months (laughs) um but i do think the matrix came first so I would love sitting in a movie theater in 1999 and have hear someone lean over and be like, they're just ripping off that Gap commercial I saw. <laughs> so derivative of yeah. that Gap commercial. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to really quickly touch on just because, uh, and, and we can kind of blow through this, but because 
the red pill discussion snowballed out in the way that it did. I just wanted to quickly touch on not even, um, I mean, I'm assuming if you listen to the show, you're aware of the wild misinterpretation that uh, the term red pill had taken, where it's intended to be some reveal of a great truth and then was co-opted by uh, right-wing weirdos who were like, yeah, and the truth is that straight white guys are oppressed. And you're like, Mm -hmm. "Uh, that's not the one that was being (laughs) referred to. Um, But I did just want to um, quickly... It seems like the Wachowskis, I mean, the Wachowskis have responded to this, but I think the the best exchange was from uh, Lily Wachowski back in May 2020, because that's when Elon Musk tweeted, take the red pill. <laughs> and then Ivanka Trump retweeted it saying, taken. Ugh. And then Lily Wachowski replied by saying, fuck both of you, which I think is really all you need to know. Yeah, that's the, that's the story in a nutshell. Oh, uh, an icon. I remember I covered the early days of, of Gamergate, which is the reactionary movement that basically evolved into the Trump campaign. Um, and they were all talking about the red pill. And I was like, I feel like you haven't actually watched The Matrix. And like at the time, I was like, this will dispel this if I just am like, no, The Matrix is a very different theme, but it didn't work for some reason. Uh, to this day Man. the gap ad does predate the matrix <gasps> oh wow i can't believe it okay i don't like the matrix anymore derivative no. the tech that made up bullet time has been around since like the dawn of cinema people have been like if we put a bunch of cameras around something and film it from all those angles then we can but like computers were required to like actually simulate moving around mm-hmm. and the gap ad just like got there first but the term bullet time specifically was coined for the matrix so wild god i want to see that gap commercial now i don't think i've ever seen it yeah i i mean i'd have to we'll link it in the description i say that 500 times an episode and then i have to go find it and it's awful i'm posting i'm posting the bullet time ad in chat oh thank you so much okay thank you um does anyone have anything else they would like to talk about in regards to the matrix that's all i had i believe yeah i just wanted to state that i have found my anagram and it's uh <gasps> warden fever filmy wow Ooh, cool <laughs> that's really okay yeah. get the merch get the merch going yeah amazing mine i couldn't find <sighs> my mine all suck i don't know what's wrong my i got the wrong letters jamie just come up with a hacker name for yourself and then I know I used to do a whole show about hackers, but I didn't know what yeah. I was talking about. So I had to stop doing the show. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that name will be more anagrammable. It's true. It's true. just a thought. I'll work on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've had this conversation before on the f- other Matrix episode that has been lost to time about whether or not this movie passes the Bechdel test. Yeah. And I've. I don't remember what we concluded, and I did not remember to pay attention to whether or not it passes when I was watching it this time around. I think it's a a barely pass situation due to a quick exchange that Trinity and Switch have in the car. Right. When Neo's got the the bug all scooting around in his guts. 
it's possible that he's the subtext of that conversation, but I'm inclined to just want to give this movie anything we can. But I did know that they have like one or two exchanges that are just between the two of them that I believe are about the bug. They're about the bug, the but car. the bug is in Neo, so I don't know mm. about it. I mean, we've all got a bug inside <laughs> of us somewhere, so technically. <laughs> That's true. The, true. the bug and the bug famously genderless <laughs> genderless icon the bug <laughs> the bug yeah and then the, i remember talking about how there's a conversation where when cypher is sabotaging them and when he kills switch and apoc he's talking to trinity and he's like if there's anything terribly important you have to say to switch say it now and then before trinity can say anything to switch and then maybe pass the bechdel test uh <laughs> cypher kills switch so he really doesn't want women to talk to each other. He, yeah, that's why he's not an ally. <laughs> not because he's murdering people. Now, technically, you're right. This movie does barely pass because the bug is genderless. But when you consider that Neo and Trinity are both trans lesbians, then mm. it passes so much. Flying it just passes colors. all over Ooh. the place. Flying colors. Yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> I just, I just want to give this movie... Nice, thanks. <laughs> Jamie, I'm so glad you like it. I was not sure if you would, because I know you're famously not an action movie fan. But it's not but... just an action movie. There's so much I going know, on. I know, so much more. And they have a little horny Will Poulter character. I'm like, you know what? I like the movie. It's good. No, I, I really loved it. There, it, this On um, the website that exists in service of the Bechtel test, which is, I think, wrong quite a bit of the time, but <laughs> Bechteltest.com, there is such an extensive conversation arguing about whether this movie passes the Bechtel test. No one seems to agree. Interesting. I just pulled it up and people do talk about that scene in the car mm -hmm. and people are arguing about what we were just talking about of like, well, the bug and the blah, 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 which honestly, if you have to get, I feel like our rule of thumb is like, if you have to get that far in the weeds about it, it probably doesn't pass the right. rectal test if you have to like split hairs like that. But I think under uh, Emily's qualification, it does pass and let's not worry about it. True. <laughs> I'll just go on that site and I'll be like, no, listen, everyone in this movie is a trans lesbian. It, it, it <laughs> passes every test. <laughs> the whole movie passes. Yeah. Also... As we always say, the you know the Bechtel test is uh, not the end all be all for anything. It's just a jumping off point. What is the end all be all is <laughs> the nipple scale. Yes, which is our metric: <laughs> zero to five nipples. I really appreciated your visceral reaction, Emily. <laughs> Hear us out. Technically, this movie has. Obviously, I know what we're going to do here, but this I was just thinking about how this movie has a whole bunch of other nipples on your back. Like, those are just kind of got some back nipples. Oh, you, they've yeah. got back nipples. You've got arm nipples. You've got the back of the head nipple. There's a lot. Um, yeah. The Wachowskis know what we want, and it's nipples. And it's, it's like it's hard more plastic more, yeah. black nipples. The Wachowskis nipples. saw Joel Schumacher nipples, and we're like, we, could, we can do more. We can do more. <laughs> Uh, okay, so zero to five nipples based on how the movie fares examining it through an intersectional feminist lens. Oh, gosh, me loving this movie so deeply might cloud my judgment a bit here. But I love that there are multiple different reads of this movie. One of them being this really interesting trans allegory. I love that this is a major franchise directed by trans women 
which hopefully paves the way for there to be more trans visibility on screen of actual trans people and not just it all being a metaphor that features all cis people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that that's like the goal that we're aiming for, right? Is just like more visibility and hopefully things don't have to be coded and um, steeped in metaphor and, and things like that. But it was 1999. Trinity being a character who I always loved and admired and that was so cool and I love just everything about the damn movie. I'm going to give it four nipples plus maybe also a half nipple on top of that. Is that Ooh, too much? Yeah, we, we do nipple. give halves and sometimes even quarter oh, yeah. nipples. Get into the decimals if you need to, you know. It's... <laughs> 0.333 repeating. Um, yeah, whatever it needs to be. I mean, maybe I'm being too generous. Uh, but again, I love this movie. I think it holds up. And I'm going to go out four and a half nipples. Done. Love it. Who are you giving your nipples to? Uh, I'm going to give one to Keanu Reeves, who is the best man alive. Uh, I'm going to give one to Gloria Foster, who plays the Oracle. I'll give one nipple to Belinda McClory, who plays Switch. I'll give one nipple to Lawrence Fishburne. And I'll give my half nipple to the little black cat who we see twice (gasps) in the deja vu scene. Flea. Yeah, a little flea. Looks just like my cat. Yeah, so four and a half nipples. Boom. Uh, I'm going to go four and a half as well. <gasps> Mostly because I'm like, I like this movie so much. What a what a long-standing, edging experience of saying I was going to watch this movie, <laughs> never doing it, lying out my ass, and then learning that I loved it. And I'm excited to watch it again. And I'm excited to watch the new one, too. Jamie, let's go together. We should. Oh yeah, let's go because I know it's it's coming out on HBO Max, but it seems like something that you should see. In theaters. Oh, we got. I would love the to see a Matrix movie the in theaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, I I'll, I'll echo what you're saying there, Caitlin. There are certainly like dated 1999 elements to certain things of the plot, but you know, it, as far as movies from this year goes, I mean, what more can you ask for? And it's also just I don't know. It's like such a movie. Does that make sense? You know, it's such a movie, movie, <sighs> oh. and it. I was just interested in every second and everyone was so unique, even though they all kind of like looked the same, but also they didn't. And there was a lot of diversity and they're like, I just, it's so fun. I'm excited to watch this movie again and not have to take notes this time. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to give it four and a half nipples. I'll give one to Trinity. I'll give one to the Oracle. I'm going to give one to Mouse. Sorry. Uh, mm, loved, no, Mouse deserves loved one. Mouse. Loved Mouse. Oh, Mouse is great. I think we really should have paused more to... He was. He wanted a cheeseburger and he was horny. Love him. Uh, I'll give <laughs> half a nipple to Hugo Weaving's lips. And I'll <gasps> give my last nipple to the Wachowski sisters. Hell yeah. Hey. Emily, how about you? Well, listen. Listening. It sounds, you know, if I come back on here and do the net and I'm like, (laughs) if I give the Matrix anything less than five, I'm going to feel like I'm insulting it when I come on here and do the net. And I'm like, I don't know, like two and a half, you know, like, (laughs) so I'm giving it, I'm giving it the full five. I'm giving it the full five. I think especially for its era, it is groundbreaking and impressive and 
that it mostly holds up today and you can like quibble with some of the casting choices you can quibble with like its presentation of transness etc but like it still holds up mm -hmm. in a way that like most other action movies of this era don't like you think about this came out the same just a couple months before um star wars episode one and yeah. you're just like those are those God. movies are from different planets entirely <laughs> yeah so uh i'm gonna give a nipple to carrie ann moss because she's she's the best uh i'll give one to keanu yeah keanu deserves he only has one nipple right now he needs, he two. needs two he needs two nipples mm -hmm. yeah that's good for him uh you know what i got i gotta give one to the wachowski sisters who are just the best and uh some of my favorite filmmakers of all time and uh you know i just want to hang out with them I think they seem so freaking cool. They, they seem so cool. I want to um, give a nipple to Bill Pope's uh, cinematography, yeah. which is legitimately groundbreaking, mm -hmm. changed the world, etc. I'm going to give a, I'm, I'm going to split my last nipple in, in two. I'm sorry. I'm breaking the rules. No, you I'm going to give a half want. nipple yeah. to the bug because we love the bug. <laughs> The and bug, yes. I'm gonna give my other half nipple to producer Joel Silver, not because I actually like am like, oh wow, great Joel Silver, though he did get this movie made when like a lot of producers wouldn't have, but because I like the image of someone like knocking on his door in the middle of the night and he comes and looks down and there's just half a nipple laying on his for his mm. doorstep. I think <laughs> I just like that image. Sure. So Joel Silver, you get half a nipple. Oh, I bet he appreciates oh, it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, he'd, he'd first maybe view it as a threat, but then once you gave him the context he needed, yeah. I think he'd come around. He'd be so happy. It's yeah. like that part in The Matrix when like Neo is rejecting this whole thing and he's like, I don't believe it. Let me out of here. And then he barfs all over the floor and then he collapses face first into his own barf. Mm -hmm. But then like in the next scene, he's like, OK, I guess it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. He's an agreeable guy, that Neo. <laughs> Uh, Emily, thank you so much for joining us and for being here. Come back for the net. Come back for anything you thank want. You. Thank you. I'd love yes, to come back. I had, a, I had a blast. Yay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Yeah. Where can people check out your writing, follow you on social media, uh, plug yeah. anything you want to plug? I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash EmilyVDW. Um, I get up to all sorts of nonsense there. Um, actually, less because I've mostly locked out of Twitter, but I do tweet every so often. <laughs> For the you best. Can look at me and say, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, my writing appears at vox.com. I also have a newsletter where I just write some of my weirder ideas. That's emilyvdw.letterdrop.com. I uh, co-create, write, show run, etc. Occasionally play a whale in the um, scripted fiction podcast Arden. It is about two women who solve cold cases and try not to fall in love. Um, it is a comedy, but it's also about my weird trauma. Um, so... Love that. Hooray. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you can, I, I, I published a book a couple years ago that I still bring up. It's uh, Monsters of the Week, Complete Critical Companion to the X-Files. You can find it in at various booksellers. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming. You, uh, truly, you're one of my favorite writers in the world. And I'm Thank so you. glad that you could uh, be here with us. Thank you so much. Truly. I love this show and um, I'm glad that I could make it and talk about nipples. So Amazing. <laughs> Come back for the net. <laughs> I would love to. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spectalcast. You can... Uh, subscribe to our Patreon, a.k.a. Matreon, at patreon.com slash spectalcast. You get two bonus episodes every month, plus access to the entire back catalog of over 100 bonus episodes. And that's all for $5 a month. 
We're doing some cursed holiday favorites this month. Surprise. <laughs> and you can get, speaking of holidays, if you're ca capitaliziming, you can go to tpublic.com slash thebechtelcast and pick up some merch or not. We won't know. And it's up to you. And, and the, what's a good way to end this episode oh um what is what is, what like is cool... neo okay neo at the very end he's just like yeah okay oh uh, i know you're out there and <laughs> i'm gonna show these people what you don't want them to see and then he hangs up the phone and it's like can you add in the rage against the machine at the end of this episode yes how many seconds can you get away with of like an audio clip before you get sued for copyright stuff we'll talk we'll take it off mike <laughs> who knows uh all right, all right. click <laughs> click Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.